I'd known Amy for years. In fact, I'd known her since we were children. But when we both moved to London after universities, time at separate universities, uh, I really began to spend time with her, and I got to know her in a different way. We, we landed at the same church, and Amy was already there. She was serving in a number of different ways. And uh, yeah, we, our friendship groups, I suppose, for the first time just began to overlap. And it was during that period that I began to see her in a completely different light. And as I said, it began with just hanging out in a larger group of friends, and, and I was interested by her and thought that her life was yeah, compelling and interesting in a variety of different ways, and so we began to spend a bit more time in smaller groups, and then eventually uh, time together one-on-one, and I didn't really know what was happening. I certainly didn't reflect on it, on it in any serious way. I'd just come out of a relationship, and Amy had two, and my mindset wasn't in, in sort of a romantic direction at all at that point. But then I realized after a while I was spending more time with her than I was with any of my other friends to the consternation of some of my other friends. And then by a a series of strange circumstances, which included a a dream and various other things, Amy and I became flatmates with one other person for three weeks. And what would happen is that we'd, before we went to work in the morning, we lived in London, it was early morning, we'd say to each other, what are you doing this evening? And uh, one of us would say, oh, nothing much. Might just come home and hang out. What about you? And the other would say, oh, nothing much. I think I might come home and hang out too. And and we'd spend the evenings together. And our other flatmate clearly got the the picture. So he wouldn't come home till late. And when he would, he'd just walk straight upstairs to his room. And and we'd just spend time doing the things that flatmates do. Those, you know, those ordinary things like, you know, having play water fights while we do the dishes. And just watching TV on the couch, snuggled up together. Just the stuff that ordinary flatmates do do and then one evening she ruined it she said to me Johnny do you do this with all your friends and in that moment I had to come clean I had to realize what was going on I had to recognize that for myself that in fact what had happened is that I was now seeing Amy in a completely different way a completely different light I was rumbled I was rumbled We've been in a series over the last few weeks called Jesus Calling. We've been looking at Luke chapter 5 that Freya just read so beautifully to us. And we've been saying that Jesus comes alongside a group of young fishermen having been teaching the crowd. And, and he changes the temperature of the environment. He shifts their lives irrevocably because of an encounter. And we talked a couple of weeks ago when we had our uh, teaching on the last part of this scripture about paradigm shifts, and we said that there are three specific paradigm shifts. And paradigm shifts, we said, are these moments where we see transformation from one way of thinking to another. In fact, from one way of seeing reality into another. And we talked about the first of those, from a paradigm of scarcity to one of abundance. And this week, we're going to look at the second of those paradigm shifts. We're going to look at Simon undergoing his second paradigm shift from one way of seeing Jesus to a completely different way of seeing Jesus, a personal paradigm shift. And what I'm going to suggest is that we need to make that same shift if we're going to step into the abundance that Jesus has for us. How do we do that? What is that shift? Well, here's what we read. 
when Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Simon Peter saw this, saw what? Saw this miraculous catch. Saw this abundant provision. The first thing we catch here is that there has been a catch. There has been a miracle. And as a direct response and result of the miracle, Simon's paradigm is being broken. And we talked about that two weeks ago. His paradigm of scarcity has been broken. But that then leads him into another moment where uh, a possibi- the possibility of a paradigm shift, a second paradigm shift, is opened up for him. Which brings an interesting and significant point to bear, which is this. The miracles of Jesus never exist for themselves. They always have a purpose, and the purpose is to reveal something fresh and interesting and pivotal about who Jesus is. And Simon begins to cotton onto this when he sees this, when he sees this abundance. It begins with seeing, but quite quickly, The posture shifts and it becomes about falling. I love this line. He fell at Jesus' knees. His seeing leads him into a full 360, if you like, embodied response. This is a classic religious, biblical response to the glory and the awe of God. And I want to say, firstly, it's instinctive. I don't think that Simon's sort of running through the options and sees this abundance and sort of begins to sort of whir through his understanding of Hebrew scripture and say, well, actually, when other people have had this kind of experience of the abundance of God, what they've done is this kind of thing, and maybe I should respond in this way. He's just instinctively overwhelmed. I sort of, when I imagine this scripture, and I, I encourage you to do this, I've been doing this over the weeks past. You know, time in this moment for, for, for Simon, it slows down, at least in my imagination. And, and it's like his knees get weak and he just capitulates. He convulses and all of a sudden he's on his knees before Jesus looking up in awe. It's instinctive. It's embodied. But it's classic. It's classic. Whenever you read through the Bible, whenever you see God confronting and encountering someone, you end up with something like this. It's a posture of humility. It's really a posture of worship. And we could speak of Moses, the burning bush. We could speak of Aaron. We could speak of Ezra. We could speak of Ezekiel. We could speak of Ezekiel five or six times in Ezekiel. It says he falls down, face down. We could speak of Daniel. We could speak of so many others who encounter God and end up on their face. Worship leader Matt Redmond says this, whenever we face up to the glory of God, we soon find ourselves face down in worship. Simon Peter is confronted. He encounters something unlike anything he's ever known. And so instinctively and classically, he falls on his face, rather on his knees, before this one who encounters him. And in Luke's gospel, already we've seen and throughout Luke's gospel, we'll see that this posture is a posture of faith. And I'm not suggesting you to this moment that, in this moment that Simon fully understands who or what 
He's having faith in, but this undeniably is a paradigm shift for him. And he says this, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. This jars with us to a degree, doesn't it? He falls down on his knees. It's a posture of humility. And then yet he's saying, go away from me. What is happening here for Simon? Well, again, actually, when we read the stories through the Bible of encounters that God has with people, this, again, is also classics, typical. That when a human being comes before the, the wisdom, the power, the majestic glory of, the, of, of God, the manifest presence of God, the glory, the kavod, the weight of God's presence, that individual human being recognizes that it isn't right for them to be in God's presence untouched, unchanged. We see this with Isaiah. He's, he says, woe to me. In this vision of God in the temple, he sees the train of God's robe filling the temple, Isaiah chapter 6, and he says, woe to me. I'm undone. I'm from a people of unclean lips, and I myself am a man of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the glory of God. And the angel, the seraph, comes to him and touches his lips with a burning coal. He knows that in order to be in God's presence, he has to be transformed. There's no other way. And in this moment, Simon, he he captures this again instinctively. It's in him. He just recognizes that he he can't be in the presence of this one. Not because, and he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He recognizes the the category he is in, the category that Jesus is in, are wholly different. His eyes are open. His paradigm is shifted in this moment. And he realizes for him to be able to stand the awesome presence of Jesus, something has to change. One theologian said, this is not a confession of individual transgressions. Rather, it's a recognition of the character before the divine and his representative. In other words, Simon's not thinking, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have lied to my mother-in-law and I wish I'd have filled my tax return out a little bit more honestly. He's saying, oh my goodness, literally, oh my God. The one in whose presence I stand now is greater than I am. I don't belong here. Another commentator said his confession, I'm a sinful man, is a confession that Jesus represents the divine presence. In other words, Simon's recognizing something both about himself, that he's just a human. He's limited, he's finite, he's broken, he's sinful. But he's also recognizing something simultaneously about this Jesus, that this Jesus doesn't fit in those same categories. This isn't just another bloke. Now this is... And I think what I'm about to say is is of such extraordinary significance. This is the first time the word sinner appears in Luke's gospel. And the reader of Luke's gospel, which is you and me, by the way, in case you're wondering today, will soon discover this word on the lips of Pharisees again and again and again. And when this word is used, it means someone who is far from God and on whom God's favor does not rest. And yet, what Jesus in the Gospel of Luke does, what Jesus does in his ministry, both here 2,000 years ago, what Jesus does today is to transform the concept of sinner from a fault, which it is in the Pharisee's mind, to a precondition for anyone who would want to receive the goodness and the abundance of the Gospel of Jesus. 
Jesus says the opposite to the Pharisees. The Pharisees say, if you're a sinner, you can't come into the presence of God. Jesus says, if you want to come into the presence of God through me, you must first admit you are a sinner. And so sinner becomes a category which enables us to come into God's presence, not which bars us from God's presence. And how, how therefore appropriate is it that the chief apostle should begin his journey with Jesus in recognizing that he is a sinner. On his knees before Jesus, humbly bowing before Jesus. And let me tell you this today, this is the only way any human can come to Jesus. It's the only way you can come to Jesus. It's the only way I can come. And Peter, therefore, kneels before Jesus as our representative. It's how I did come to Jesus. It's how you did come, if you have, to Jesus. And around that time that I spoke about where Amy and I were becoming friends, I was on my own journey, not toward Amy, but back toward Jesus. And I'd lived for the last, the few years before that, just, I suppose, in governing my own life. And I'd ended up, honestly, on my knees in all manner of different ways, broken by some of my own decisions. And I just came humbly on my knees before Jesus, saying, look, you must be able to do a better job with my life than I have over these last few years. That is how we come. We don't come to Jesus as equals. We don't come saying, Jesus, I I think you could use somebody like me. I've got some gifts and talents and I'm willing to put them in to throw them into the kingdom job, the kingdom manifesto. If that would be helpful to you, let me know. Get back to me if it's of any interest to you, Jesus. We come saying, Jesus, could you use a beggar like me? Could there be a place in your kingdom for someone like me? And when that happens, we're ready for the paradigm shift. And here it is. Here it is. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know, a few verses ago, Simon says, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. The address to Jesus is master. And then we said that it was a word that means one who stands over. In other words, it's a word that means governor or one with authority, one with power. It's a term of respect. And yet what we see here is that he doesn't use the word master, he uses the word Lord. Now Lord is not a word you would use simply to give uh, respect. It, It can mean something like sir, but when it's combined as it is here... Uh, with this posture of kneeling, it becomes something so much stronger than master. Again, one commentator says, here in combination with the act of bowing, it's more than mere polite address. It is a recognition of sovereignty, of kingship, of authority, of governance. It, It goes further than master. It becomes personal. It becomes about lordship. And so in saying Lord and not choosing the word master, which he used before, Peter has undergone a shift. He's made a a massive transition into a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, and a new way of relating to Jesus. No longer is he just seeing Jesus as somebody around who has authority generally. He's now recognizing him as someone close by who has authority personally. This Jesus has now, by dint of what Peter says, he's got the authority to direct Peter personally sovereignty, and he's, this paradigm shift is one that Peter will spend the rest of the Gospels, in fact, the rest of his life, exploring. I'm not saying he fully understands it, but he embraces it in this moment for the first time. 
How does it happen? It happens through this encounter. And this encounter, this personal encounter between Simon Peter, as he's now called, and Jesus is where this whole story in Luke 5 has been headed all along. And every single one of us makes this journey. This is the journey that many people in the Bible make. And and some people make it as a road to Damascus experience. It's like, boom, the lights all go on at the same time. And they're on their face. They fall off their horse, if you like. And Jesus is like there. And it's just a moment of radical encounter. And they submit and surrender everything in the moment. And some people do it as a road to Emmaus and it's gradual. And it's like one light in the house goes on. Gradually, one by one by one, until finally they realize the whole house is filled with light. And for many of us, it's a bit of both. The point is not how it happens, but the point is both biblically and personally that it must happen. Every one of us, for us to become a disciple and to experience the fullness of life, must make this second paradigm shift. We've got to get there. We've got to move from master to Lord. That's the goal. That's the picture. Because Jesus didn't come for miracles. He came for men and women. He didn't just come to multiply fish. He came to make followers. He came to make disciples. People who would become the people who would say to him, Lord. Who would see him and they would say, you are Lord. Not just master. Not just a great teacher. Not just a spiritual guru or a guide or another historical figure. Or a mythical figure. But the Lord of all history. This, I'm telling you now, this is the transition. This is the key decision on which the status of every human life shifts and changes when we recognize him as Lord. And this story, this story of Simon encountering Jesus and and making this paradigm shift is the story that many, many millions of people have made after Simon. And it's being repeated today. And what I want to say is it's it's being repeated even in this moment and in these days and in this city and in this church. And I want to say to you two things. Firstly, that you don't have to fully understand it to embrace it. You don't have to have the perfect theology. Simon, even in this moment before Jesus on his knees, doesn't fully understand what he's saying, what he's doing. He doesn't understand fully the implications of what he's saying yet. And in fact, as we see in the Gospels, he takes many many different turns in order to fully understand it. And even after Jesus is raised from the dead, he's still figuring it out. The point is not to fully understand it. The point is to fully stand under it. And you see, discipleship is not something, it's not, it's something where we think our way into a new way of being, but it's, it's we experience our way into a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing We will never capture the fullness of who Jesus is if we're trying to do that as an intellectual exercise. The point is to, for a moment at least, to allow ourselves to suspend the need to be in control in our minds and to say, Jesus, I'm willing to stand under and to allow you to stand over, not just as master, but as Lord. So we don't need to fully understand it. Secondly, we don't have to deserve it. We'll never deserve it. Notice that when Simon says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Jesus doesn't say, in fact, we haven't read this, so you don't know, but (laughs) let me tell you. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're right, Simon, I've got the wrong guy. 
I didn't realize you were one of those filthy sinners. Let me just have a look down the road and see if there's anyone else available. He doesn't say that at all. What we will see Jesus saying again and again through the Gospels is, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. It's as if Jesus is saying, you're a sinner, are you? Perfect. Just the one I'm looking for. We don't have to deserve it. None of us deserves it. We simply have to receive it. We simply receive it. All we can do is respond to it. All we can do is respond, receive his grace and his mercy, allow our hearts to, our bodies to follow our hearts as we encounter Jesus and say, look, I, I, I surrender to you not just as master but as Lord. We've got to make the same shift that Simon Peter does. We've got to understand, stand under his lordship. And I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to do that today. And maybe you're doing, maybe you're hearing me and you know, you've been journeying through Jesus calling this chapters, this Luke 5 uh, sermon series we've been in and you'd say, you'd position yourself somewhere in this story but where you'd say is you're on the shoreline. You're with the people hearing this and maybe you're on the shoreline watching the boat on a dis- from a distance and now you can see from a distance, as it were, Simon falling to his knees and you know that there's something going on but you don't understand it and you're not willing fully yet to make that step. I want to call you off the safety of the shore this morning. Come onto the boat. Allow yourself, encounter Jesus, ask him, just pray a simple prayer, Lord, this morning, can I come onto the boat? Can I get closer to the action? Or maybe you've made the shift from the, and, and you've been called onto the shallow water. The shallow waters of prayer. Maybe you feel like it's right to join in on Alpha in week two coming up this Tuesday. You're feeling like there's, I need to explore this. There's, there's, there's more here for me. I know there is. I believe there is. Yes, come, make that shift. Or maybe for you, you've been called into the deeper places. And you've had some kind of faith, some kind of maybe shallow faith, you would admit, and you've had a connection with church for many years, but it's been someone else's faith, and, and right now it's a moment for you to make it your own faith and allow that, that shallow discipleship to go deeper so it, so it engages with every part of your life. Not just Sunday, but Monday to Saturday. So it engages with your wallet as well, uh, also your friendships, uh, with your relational life, with uh, physical life, with every part of your life. Maybe that's the moment. But maybe today you're with Peter, Simon Peter, and you're ready to fall to your knees and surrender everything. Maybe you're willing to say, Jesus, you're not just master today, but I'm willing to call you Lord not just once, once right now, but forever. I want to come to you. And I, I'm going to pray now. And I want to pray for people in all those groups. And I just wonder if you would join me. Wherever you are, whichever of those groups on the shore, the shallows, the deep, on your knees.